Heavenly Father, as we are gathered here in this place at this time, we come with expectant hearts and minds, expecting to hear from you, eager to take what you have for us, so that we may continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may that growth, may that life, be such that it reflects more and more Christ who is in us, a life of love, a life of forgiveness, a life of mercy. In His name we pray, Amen. Quite the contrast, isn't it? On the one hand we have Joseph weeping and saying to his brothers, Don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And then there is that servant choking a fellow servant, demanding that he pay up now the debt he owes or suffer the consequence. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Quite the contrast, isn't it? Why? Well, it's because Joseph got the big picture and that servant didn't. Joseph understood what it is that God had done in all of the things that he had experienced. The rejection by his brothers, being thrown into that pit, and then being pulled out and sold into slavery, ending up in Egypt, serving Potiphar, and then because of Potiphar's wife being thrown into prison, And there he helped a couple guys there in prison, interpreting dreams. And it happened just as Joseph had said, because God was with him. One guy was hanged, the other guy was released. And to the one who was released, he said, remember me. And the guy said, yeah, I'll remember you, I'll speak your name to Pharaoh. Well, he didn't, and he languished in prison for another two years. Until Pharaoh had his dream, the dream of seven fat cows and seven fat ears of corn, followed by seven lean cows and seven lean ears of corn. And then that servant remembered Joseph, and he said, oh, Pharaoh, 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 there's this guy in prison, you know, he, he's, we, we had some dreams, and he interpreted them, and it happened just like he said. So Pharaoh had Joseph brought out. And Joseph interpreted the dream. The dream was that there would be seven good years, followed by seven years of famine. And he told the Pharaoh what must happen in order to survive those years of famine. Pharaoh was impressed. And so he made him second to him in all of Egypt. And Joseph became a great man. And because of this, 
through what God had done in and for him, he was able to save many, not only in the land of Egypt, but also of his own family. Because that famine spread north and east into Palestine. And when his family experienced the effects of that drought, Jacob, the father, eventually sent ten of his sons, holding back Benjamin, to go to Egypt and buy grain. There, Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers did not recognize him. And I'm going to let you read the rest of the account in those chapters, Genesis 39 through 50. Joseph saw the hand of God at work. He experienced in the midst of all of his problems the mercy of God. And because he knew God's hand was at work, when it came now time to respond to his brothers he could and he did forgive them as God was merciful to him Joseph was merciful to the brothers Joseph saw the big picture and what about that servant he experienced the mercy of God he had a debt he could never ever repay. And he pled that the, to the king, be merciful to me. Don't give me what I deserve, which is slavery for me and my family. I'll pay this back, even though he could never pay it back. And out of pity or compassion, the king forgave his entire debt. But he didn't get it. He didn't realize that as the king had been so merciful to him, he now had the opportunity and responsibility to be merciful to others. And so what did he do? After leaving the king's presence, he went out and he found, he actively looked for this guy who owed him a measly hundred bucks. And he said, pay me back or else. He didn't get it. He didn't see that as he had received mercy, he too now could and should be merciful to others. And so I ask this morning, how about you? Are you more like Joseph? Or are you more like that servant? And as I ask you, you are the mirror pointing back at me. I ask myself as well. God is many things. And one of those things that God is, is that He is just. This means that in the economy of God, sin must be paid for. It must be paid for. But by whom? And what is the cost? Since all of us have sinned, then the short answer must be, it must be paid for by you and me, we who are sinners. But when it comes to our sins, 
we're like the servant in Jesus' parable who owed such a large, huge, enormous debt that he could never pay it back, even in two lifetimes. You see, sinful from birth, sinful from the time our mothers conceived us. We are like those bubble machines. You know, you pour in the soap and it keeps pouring out those bubbles. So it is with you and with me in regard to our sins. We keep pouring out these sins. Sins of thought, sins of, wor- of action, sins of word. We don't do the things that God tells us to do. And then we go ahead and do the things that He tells us not to do. We indeed are sinful and unclean. And so because of this, there is no way that you or I or any other human being born of woman could ever pay our sins for our sins. We could never pay God because we are completely and totally corrupt. And so what do we do? Because we come before a just God. And God is absolutely just in condemning everyone to hell. If He did that, no one could lay a finger against Him and saying, that's not fair. The holy and sinless God, who is just, has every right to condemn you and me to the eternal fires of hell. But as I said, God is many things. And in addition to being just, God is also merciful and gracious. And as such, He doesn't want us to get what we, because of our sins, deserve. He wants us to give us something else. And this is what the king did, right? Jesus said that moved by compassion, the king forgave that servant his debt. And it was no small debt. In today's money, it would be millions of dollars. And in so doing, the king spared that man and his family from a life of misery, a life of slavery. And as the king did for that servant, so God has done for us all. Since God is just, He couldn't forgive our sin debt simply by writing it off. It would have to be paid. But by whom and with what? In the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, we read that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Our debt to God would have to be paid by the blood of someone or something. In other words, it had to be paid by the death of another. And that other was the one of whom John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And that other was none other than Jesus, of whom we confess in our catechism, in the meaning of the second article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me. In other words, He paid the price for my sin. A lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with His holy precious blood, and with His innocent suffering and death. This is what John 3.16 tells us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? So that He could be that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that whoever believes in Him shall never perish but have eternal life. Why? Because the debt of our sin has been paid once for all. And of this, the Apostle John, writing in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand this, dear friends? Do you get the big picture? Do you see the depth of our problem and the extent to which God acted to resolve our problem and then to call us to faith in Jesus? Not because you and I are worthy, but because God is compassionate, merciful, and loving. We who believe and have received God's gift of forgiveness through faith in Jesus find ourselves in a unique position. While we owe God nothing for our salvation, we in fact owe Him everything because of our salvation. What we owe God is our very lives. The Apostle Paul, again, in Romans chapter 12 this time, said it this way, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Did you get that? We are to offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him. Why? Because of what He has done for us in Jesus. That's why. You didn't do anything to earn the mercy and grace of God. But now that you have received it by faith, you are called to live your lives in such a way that give Him glory, that express His love and mercy to those around you, friend and foe alike. And what this means is that as God was merciful and gracious to us, we, forgiven sinners whom we are, are to be merciful and gracious toward our neighbor. We're to forgive and love as God has forgiven and loved us. 
Paul wrote of this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapters 4 and 5. There he said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's how you and I are to live our lives, as fragrant offerings and sacrifices to God. We are to make to God sacrifices of praise. So when that servant, who had been forgiven a debt of millions, refused to forgive a fellow servant who owed only a hundred bucks or so, the king called him in, and he said to them, What is this I have heard of you? I forgave you that great debt because you pleaded with me. Why couldn't you be merciful to him who pleaded with you? I'm afraid, in my life at least, I find myself too many times like that unforgiving servant. I calculate Who owes me what? When will I get my due? How will I be toward him or her? How will I treat them in light of what they did to me? And all of that attitude is nothing more than my sinful nature gaining control of my thoughts, my tongue, and my actions. I'm sorry to say that I'm not like Joseph as much as I would like to be. And I don't think I'm a whole lot different than you guys and that you too struggle between that attitude of the unforgiving servant and the attitude of a forgiving Joseph. And so until we get our minds around the big picture of what God has done for us in Jesus, we're going to have a hard, hard time being like Joseph. And as a result, we will continue to live our lives trapped and imprisoned by an unmerciful, unloving, and unforgiving attitude. Just think in terms of your own life. How has that attitude shown itself in your homes relative to your marriages and family? At work, in relationship to your boss, to your employees? At school, as you treat your fellow students and your teachers? in this congregation. That unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful attitude raises its ugly head way, way too often, doesn't it? And so what are we to do about that? Well, that could be a whole nother sermon. If you want to come back this afternoon, I'll try to be here with you. But 
since we don't have the time for another sermon. Let me answer that question about what should we do about it by sharing a brief prayer and taking to heart the desire to serve God as He has served us, living our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him. Lord, You who are merciful and gracious toward us, by Your Word and Spirit, enable us to be merciful and gracious to others, loving them as You love us, and by the power of that love, forgiving them as You forgive us in Jesus. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passeth all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.